Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio, getting ready to record episode number 183. we got a really good show uh, lined up for you today in our warm-up topic. We're going to talk about our city of the week. We have a new number one. Awesome. We're going to talk about our player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have an interesting did you know, have a really good listener question, and of course, Paige's power play. In our lead-off topic, we're going to talk about uh, a list of questions that we got dealing with coach pitch and the very youngest players and some stuff that uh, coaches had questions about there. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about some 10 and under team issues. So for the main body of the show today, we're going to be talking about the youngest players and some stuff that coaches are are curious about. So all of these are listener questions and listener ideas. And then in our coaching tip of the week, we're going to talk about coaching superstitions Cool. where we stand. So before we get into the fun stuff, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. It's a great way for you to save a little bit of money on a great bat and also help support everything fast pitch at the same time. And make sure you remember that uh, during October, Anderson's going to be helping us do a bat giveaway. We're going to be doing some uh, promotional work with Anderson. Uh, We're going to be doing some giveaways. Uh, We're still uh, fleshing out the uh, details of how that's all going to work. But for all our listeners, uh, we will be doing uh, uh, this uh, in the uh, month of October. At the end of October, we're going to be giving away a bat, some hats, some other stuff. Uh, Anderson's doing a great job of supporting us with everything fast pitch, and we're excited about uh, them uh, uh, giving us some stuff that we can give away to our listeners. Also want you to think about patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. We have a great group of patrons, people that are supporting us and doing a great job. If you're in a position where you can become a patron, where you can help support us financially, if you go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch, the three levels of support are laid out for you there. It's either five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. Coach Don and I do appreciate the patrons. They are keeping this operation moving forward, and uh, we certainly could use more help. If there's people out there that see value in what we're doing, that see some benefit in everything fast pitch and coach prep, if you can come on board and become a patron, that would really be a, a great way for you to support us and to keep the wheel spinning. So, Don, our warm-up topics this week. First off, the city of the week, our new number one with a bullet is Arlington, Texas. Arlington, way to go. Awesome. Yeah. Beautiful city uh, just outside Dallas. It's uh, where the uh, Rangers stadium is, beautiful stadium. I was there uh, uh, many, many times to coach and to uh, recruit. And uh, obviously, the, the greater uh, Dallas area has uh, tons of... Strong softball. Tons of softball, tons of great facilities. Arlington's a beautiful town, and obviously uh, a lot of people there are listening to Everything Fast Pitch and telling their friends about it, because the numbers jumped up very, very significantly to being the number one uh, city on our list of cities as as we track the people that are listening. Obviously, we were very excited about that. So if uh, you can, find somebody who you know is not listening and encourage them to do so. Get your Um, team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of stuff that we talk about that's useful, that's beneficial. Some of it's just kind of fun stuff. Some of it, I think, is 
is very, very helpful. I'm confident that if somebody who loves fast pitch softball listens to everything fast pitch, they'll keep coming back. So please get them to come for the first time, and then uh, uh, we'll take it from there. So Don, our player of the week this week is a young girl that I work with. Her name is Lainey Green. Uh, Lainey plays at Loganville Christian Academy on their middle school team, and Lainey had her first ever over-the-fence home run. Awesome job, Lainey. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah, we've got uh, a pretty uh, fun stretch going with kids that I've worked with this year. I've had a, a handful of kids in the last 10 days or so that have all hit their first ever. That's so um, much fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, players are dying to hit the first one, and it seems once they hit the first one, then they will get more and more as, as they uh, continue to grow and develop. Uh, but Lainey's a good kid, hard worker and uh, really is passionate about the game. And it didn't surprise me to hear um, that she'd finally gotten the first one because she's been swinging the bat really, really well. And she's been hitting a lot of balls uh, in lessons that certainly if they were out on the field in a game situation would have had the distance. So to know that she put one together is, is very exciting. So congratulations, Lainey Green. You are the Fast Pitch Prep Player of the Week. Our equipment tip of the week, Don, let's talk about the Square Cuts training desk. No, Tori, again, uh, every time you ask about them or we talk about them here on uh, the podcast, only good things. They're safe, durable, and and give great feedback. They've been a lot of fun, um, both for hitting, for throwing, um, multiple different drills. Everybody that uses them uh, takes a second look and says, you know, what is that? Where can I get those? So right. we, if you're listening, you need to get some. Yeah, and uh, we're excited about the Square Cuts training discs. Uh, it's something that uh, Coach Don and I spent quite a bit of time trying to develop and, and coming up with an idea that we thought was useful. If you're interested, you can order them by going to the fastpitchprep.com website. There's an order button right there on the front page. Uh, they're $49.95 a dozen. Uh, they will not harm your bats. They're the same diameter and weight as a 12-inch softball, so they do give real feedback and uh, something that a player can use on their own uh, once they're familiar with them and, and know what they're supposed to be seeing and feeling when they hit them. Um, it's a tool that's going to help them improve, and they're going to be able to do things on their own that uh, really are helpful and and, uh, and pay off for them in, in their training. Tori, are we still giving everybody a discount that's listening? Yep. If you uh, go to the fastpitchprep.com website, you enter the discount code of ILISTEN21. It's ILISTEN and then the numerals 21, and that'll get you a 10% discount. If you go ahead and order them up, we will get them boxed up and shipped out to you right away. Um, again, uh, fastpitchprep.com to get your square cuts training disc. So, Don, did you know the list of Division I All-Americans? What school would you think has the most All-Americans in the, in the history of uh, Division I softball? Again, too, we don't talk about this, so I'm going to say UCLA. Second place. That's number two. Arizona? Arizona is number one. There you go. So Arizona is number one, and now the uh, All-American teams are selected by the NFCA, the Nas National Fast Pitch Coaches Association. All the coaches, And yeah. all the coaches, uh, there's a panel of coaches across each division that vote for the all-region teams and then for the all-American teams. And so it is selected by your peers. Arizona's number one, UCLA's number two. Arizona has 62, UCLA has 57, and then Oklahoma's coming up in third place. I was going to say, they're coming strong, I'm sure. With 26. Okay. So a big difference, but I think that it's really uh, the years... weighted by the fact that for that 10-12 year run, the UCLA and Arizona were so dominating. Totally. And, and winning so much. Uh, they got a big leg up there. It was not uncommon for each of them to have four or five All-Americans in a year. And obviously, when you're having years like that, the numbers are going to get up there pretty quickly. But uh, Does Arizona have more national championships? I should have went with Arizona. You know, UCLA's got more national championships. Okay. Arizona's in second in that race. So right. I'm guessing if you ask the two schools what they'd rather have, more national championships <laughs> or All-Americans, 
UCLA is probably going to claim that one. I like it. So, Don, our listener question comes to us from Bonnie. Bonnie's question is, our travel team has added extra coaches, paid professionals, to help coach our team. When we joined the team, we joined it because we loved the coaches we already had, and we were not told about the idea of adding extra coaches, and we also were not told about the extra cost of paying for quote-unquote professional coaches to join our staff. What do you guys think? Tori, I think it's unfortunate that they didn't talk about that prior to joining the team because I think that should be a, a very transparent thing where you know we know what to expect through the year. So in that respect, I'd be a little bit disappointed, and I know... As we talk about these things, I think that uh, having those paid professional quote-unquote coaches takes a little bit of the pressure off of the coaching staff itself, and it kind of pushes some of the responsibility of making sure the kids can hit, making sure the kids can field, making sure the kids can throw. Uh, It pushes some of that responsibility off on those paid professionals per se. But I think that if I was going to be a part of that group or those groups, I'd like to know that up front. Right. I mean, all being clear and honest, yeah. Right. One And one of the things about uh, anytime you change the dynamic within a coaching staff, I think there's potential for gains and potential losses. Sure. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that, uh, you know, Bonnie's email is pretty clear that uh, they loved the coaching staff as Originally, it was, yeah. the original coaching staff. I would assume that that means she didn't see any need or any reason for any kind of changes to take place. Now, the idea of bringing in somebody as an extra coach as a, uh, that has more knowledge or more experience than you might have, there's some benefit in that, but I think sure. there's also some risk in that. And, and Don, you touched on it with the pushing away the responsibility or being able to, as a head coach, you know, maybe dodge the bullets of, uh, well, the kids didn't hit well today. Well, we've got you know, so-and-so that we're paying to be the hitting coach. That, you know, that's, that's their responsibility. Or our pitchers have a bad weekend and get lit up a little bit. Well, so-and-so is the pitching coach. She's calling all the pitches. Right. And so to me, I think that there's a, you know, potential problems in, in that situation. Um, obviously, I think the coaches that are adding coaches to their staff are doing it because they think it's going to be beneficial or they think it's going to, to enhance be, the, going to be yeah. a better situation in the yeah. long haul. Now, the second part about Bonnie's question about not knowing that they were going to have to pay extra in fees to support those additions. Um, now, she does not say how much, but I'm guessing it's not a small amount that if it was just just a few dollars, I don't think she'd be questioning it. No, I think that's for sure true, Tori, especially if we've got multiple. I know, uh, and people, I think they're in that respect deserving of some type of a compensation. You know, if they're taking time away from other things to go and be that quote unquote professional coach. Right. I think that's important. But another thing, as you're talking about it, Tori, I'm thinking um, coaching style and presentation and, intensity and things like that might have been part of their choice to join that group and not always are you or I and you know the other professional quote-unquote coaches that are coming in going to have the same um, style or demeanor right and it might not be as well received so I think that might be tough for you know some of the kids anyway to continue that participation and uh, you know in the practice setting and be as comfortable so right what I think that uh um, this is something that I am seeing more and more, for sure, in the Atlanta area. And I'm guessing if it's happening here, it's happening here because it, it started happening in other Somewhere places, Somewhere else, too. right, yeah. And it's not uncommon, I know, of, of uh, coaches that are getting paid $1,000 plus a month to come in and, and be the quote-unquote hitting coach or pitching coach. 
And, and again, if somebody is using softball as a way to pay their bills, if that's how they make a living, if uh, somebody who normally is giving lessons is missing some lesson time to come in and coach the team, right? You know, I, I would, you know, I think it would be foolish for them to do that and not get compensated. But this, to me, it's a it's a very uh, slippery question to try to answer. I don't think that there's a right or wrong, but I think it could go right or wrong depending upon the situation for every team that does it. If it's a really strong head coach who brought in help that somehow doesn't like it once it started to unfold, if it's a really strong and, and strong-willed professional coach, you know, side coach or whatever it is that comes in, there's a lot of ways that I think this could go wrong. Um, would make me a little bit nervous. The fact that it didn't happen up front would really bother me as a parent. Uh, the fact that it's going to cost me more money that I was not prepared for, or was not aware of, that would cause me real concern as a as a parent. But honestly, even if it didn't cost me any more money, the fact that there's now going to be two or three more adult coaches Voices. on the staff, you know, if I came to this team because I loved the two or three people that were already co- or that were coaching it. Yeah, and all of a sudden now we add two or three more. You know, to me, all of a sudden you had four, five, six voices, and I've seen this up close and personal. You can have way too many coaches, for sure. You know, where uh, a kid makes a mistake, and it's almost like a race to see which coach can get to them first to be the one that gets to coach them up. And the other one's got one more thing they want to tack right. on to it, and I know you forgot this part. And yeah, yeah. and before you know it, the kids are getting so much Feed- information, so much feedback that it's hard for them to process it all. And one other point that Stan brought up, Don, that we shouldn't discount is that maybe it is a way to keep up with the Joneses. If we've got a strong competitive team and we're competing with another team and they're bringing in a paid professional, somebody who's an outside expert to help with their team, it might be seen as a recruiting tool, an advantage or a disadvantage. We don't want to lose some kids because we're not. Right. If Team X is adding all these legendary coaches and team Y doesn't do it or doesn't do something similar that maybe there is a recruiting benefit advantage. or recruiting advantage. So yeah, um, Bonnie, it's a great question. I wish I had an absolute answer for you, but I would be a little bit uh, put off by the unknown factor. Yeah. And I would definitely be a little bit uh, curious about the extra cost. We can offset it with some fundraising and keep our fingers crossed. Uh, hopefully, because yeah. for some for some people, if it ends up being another hundred or two hundred dollars a, a yeah. month or whatever, to their already it's a difference high maker dues, in my choice. Big, yeah, it's a yeah. big difference. So, yeah. Don, that's going to take us into this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. I'm excited to share with you a little bit about when you feel like your coach doesn't believe in you. And I know this feeling totally stinks. And I also believe that the best coaches instill belief in their athletes. The good news is there are coaches that do this. The bad news is not all coaches do this. And we can have a whole nother conversation about that another time. But I want to go back to this feeling of when your coach doesn't believe in you and you feel like your you that coach just doesn't believe in your in you. So this feeling stinks, right? And this is why I teach athletes how to create their own confidence when they feel like this. So I want to take you through some steps on what you can do when you feel like your coach doesn't believe in you. So number one thing, I want you to decide if this is a thought or a fact. 
a thought is just a story that we tell ourselves. It's our imagination and our opinion. A fact is something that's 100% true. It can be proved in the court to think of it like that. A lot of times we tend to create a story in our minds that isn't actually and totally completely true. It's all good. It happens to all of us, but we have to figure out, okay, is this just a thought or is it an actual fact? Um, the second thing I want you to do is ask yourself, what do I want to believe about me? This is like truth time. This is the time to step into your power and decide what you want to happen, who you want to be and how you want to show up. Number three, I want you to choose who you surround yourself. And I'm going to share that I want you to choose who you surround yourself at the best of your ability. And I say at the best of your ability because sometimes you're going to have a coach that you don't totally love or you don't see eye to eye, but they're still your coach. Sometimes we are going to have teachers, family members, bosses that we aren't totally obsessed with, but they are still there and it is your job to choose some people you surround yourself with as best that you can and as much as you can. People that raise you up, support you, love you, believe in you, encourage you, are honest with you, that inspire you. The more that you surround yourself with that kind of energy and those kinds of people, the better off you are going to be. Number four, the last one, when that coach gives you feedback, that coach that you just don't feel like believes in you 100%, when that coach does give you feedback, adjustments, advice, whatever it might be, I want you to figure out how to use it without taking it personally. I know that's hard, but I want you to figure out how to use that as fuel. How do you use that to make you better? That is the part that's in your control. So keep putting yourself in the best possible positions to strive. And I want you to think about what, which one of these steps, which one of these things are you going to do next? Have an amazing rest of your day. Take action. Be in control of what you can control so that you can put yourself in that, that amazing position for success. All right, Don, our leadoff topic is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. Elite Sporting Goods is located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number is 678 678- 377-0270. You can also contact them at Elite Sports Orders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, equipment, uniforms, um, go ahead and reach out to the folks at Elite and uh, they'll get you taken care of. Now, the one thing I'm going to say for all sporting goods people, everybody is stuck in the exact same position. And so we're just going to throw this out there as a heads up to all our listeners. Yep. The shipping, receiving, uh, manufacturing of all this stuff is really the most screwed up it's ever been that I can remember in the 40 plus years that I've been involved. It's everything. And, and, right. And the way I, reason I know for sure is that I just got my brand new truck Yeah, that took me six months to get because we were waiting for a chip to get delivered from China. And things that are being delivered right now. Right. Are... Eventually it got here. Eventually I got my truck, but six months after I put in the order and six months after I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks to get it, it ended up being six months. So last second miracles are something that's probably not going to be happening very often in the sporting goods world these days. You know, we know um, that uh, a lot of the companies are really struggling. That's, you know, for some of them, it's very frustrating because the stuff's sitting on a boat in California and there's nobody at these companies to unload the boat. Sometimes it got off the boat and it's sitting on the dock, but there's nobody in the, uh, next step to 
take the uh, containers and empty them out and send the stuff along to the FedEx and the UPS trucks. And, and it so, ends up being a log, even if they did have the people now, it's such a log jam. That, right. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, but uh, contact the folks at Elite. They'll do the best they can to hook you up. And uh, they've got a lot of connections to, to get stuff taken care of for you. So Don, our leadoff topic is talking about uh, questions and situations pertaining to the youngest players, the eight and under, the coach pitch kids. Right. We had several emails. Uh, from people that are coaching at this level that uh, just wanted us to try to you know, give them some pointers, give them some things to think about, um, some things that they could maybe be doing in practices or, or whatever to kind of smooth out the transition and working with the youngest kids. So the first one uh, deals with players specifically, um, knowing where and when and what plays are the right plays to make and how to help them have a better understanding of what's supposed to happen to cut down on the mental errors doesn't sound like it's a problem with fielding the ball as much as it's having a idea of where to throw it once you've got your hands on it. Well, wow, that's a uh, that's exciting because they're they're having a lot of fun. <laughs> it sounds like uh, you know they're doing all the right things, but trying to anticipate and teach where where to go next. When we're working on those kinds of things, we're going to either get the ball on the ground or we're going to get it in the air, and those are really our two basic choices. And we've said kind of forever: when in doubt, get an out. You know, so if we can make sure that every time we do field the ball well, that we can try and try and at least assure an out, we're going to be in better shape. I think just walking through all the all the situations, you know, in practice, having them out there, ball goes to the ground. You know, if you can, and it goes to the shortstop. If you can tag a runner running in front of you, you do it. If not, let's try and get the forced out. Lead runner is important if we can get it comfortably. If not. When in doubt, get an out. Right. What I think, uh, even in this case, sometimes the there is no obvious play. Right. And so, because for the kids this age group, sometimes what really seems like it should be the only obvious play is not so clear There's cut. So, so many variations thing, right. that happen. So the first yeah. thing I would start off with is practicing communicating with and the players communicating with each other. And at this age group, I would probably start off with the most fundamental thing that every time there's a hitter at the plate if there's nobody on base i would have the kids you know getting into that routine hey ground ball goes one fly ball goes two ground ball goes one fly ball goes two and just getting them thinking about it before each pitch before each potential play to start to plant in their minds the likelihood the most likely situation on what should be happening when the ball does get hit to them so that they're talking about the most routine plays first so if uh, there's a hitter up at the plate, everybody on the team should be saying something before the ball gets pitched, like, hey, ground ball goes one. Ground yeah. ball goes one, so that everybody's talking about it. You know, the outfielders could then be talking about fly ball or a ground ball to the outfield goes two. And starting off with just the most fundamental pieces so that they're thinking about it, planning for it a little bit more in their minds. My guess is most of the time that these things happen badly is that the kids are just trying to make it up on the fly. They haven't really thought about it. And then it's like this, oh my gosh, it's moment. A shocker. Yeah, the, you know, the ball got hit to me. And then I think that that's, you know, a, a way to kind of start to soften the blow of that to help them have a better idea. You know, because there's nothing more disappointing than a you know, ground ball gets hit back to the pitcher and she freaks out and throws it home when the only play in the infield was to go to first. Right. Right. Um, you know, there might be no other base runners, but she's in a know, panic. So, and, and so petrified that she's already kind of thought it through. So then the next part would be when that ball's hit, that 
you know, everybody but the person who's fielding it is yelling, you know, saying one, 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 so that they get used to communicating with each other and helping each other. If that, you know, ball gets hit back to the pitcher and everybody on the field is yelling one, 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 even though she might bobble it, even though she might fumble it a little bit, you know, that's going to help her kind of keep her uh, mind on the task and think about what's most likely to happen. And so I think, you know, I would start with that kind of stuff. I know that uh, it seems like a lot for players this young, but they don't even need to necessarily understand the logic behind it to start with, as long as they get in the habit of doing it. And then eventually, as they get better at it and, and understand it a little bit more, then we can start to, you know, make it a little bit more in-depth and a little bit more of a, a system that they understand, you know, the, the value of it. I like watching, too. If we have a chance to, whether it's a one-on-one thing with your own child or um, whether it's a small group thing, when you're watching other groups, could even be on TV, but just watch, hey, the ball gets hit to the shortstop. There's a runner on first base. The play's at second. It took too long to go to second, so they're going to get the out at first and just kind of walk and talk through all those things, too. The more they see it, the more it becomes familiar. And again, there's always the excitement and pressure of being on the spot and being the one the ball gets hit to, but uh, all that stuff gets better. We just got to bear through it, right? Right. Well, um, the youngest level is where we expect them to make some mistakes. And one of the things that I think is uh, missing for most of these kids, when we were this young, we didn't play on organized teams. We would play in the alley. We would play in the you know the vacant lot on the corner, and we had to learn from making our own mistakes because if what we made too many force out was right, what if, a, if we yeah. made too many mistakes, the kids wouldn't let us play. So we had to kind of learn some of those hard lessons uh, a little bit on our own. But I would say start off with the communication piece. Do as much as you can to let them see the way it's supposed to be done, um, and definitely help them communicate with each other as much as possible. You know, try to create a system where they're saying the same things every time every single pitch, you know, and then as they get better, they can add the next situation. If we've got a runner at first, now maybe a ground ball goes too, you know, and so on and so on, yeah. um, so that we start to make plays, and then uh, hopefully that will remind them. The other thing that I think that the team communication does is it gives the kids the uh, uh, confidence to help each other, but I think what we also have to add in is a way to help them block out all the other voices that are screaming different things, and so I think that if we can get the players communicating with each other, then maybe they'll spend less time trying to listen to what their dad is screaming, what their mom is screaming, what their three different coaches are all screaming three different things at the same time, and adding a whole another level of, of confusion. You know, we talked a while back about how pitiful I thought it was that we had a first base coach in a very young age group, I think it was 10 and under, screaming things out to try to confuse the defense because crazy in in his mind that was him contributing to his team winning right let's get the kids communicating with each other so they can stop trying to listen to all the other random voices because you and i both know we've seen it when you're out at the ballpark that you know a ball gets hit and 17 different people are all screaming 17 different things which one's right right so if we can all be on the same page and have a routine where the kids are communicating with each other and we can even you know set it up as coaches that we're gonna you know say what we want them to say before every pitch and, and let them just get in the habit of doing that first, and then hopefully that might cut down on some of the confusion. It'd be hard to take too many reps doing this stuff, Tori, right? It's just yeah. they got to get familiar with it. And for us to say, and for each group, for us to say it's going to be exactly like this, they're going to have to ad-lib a little bit, you know, build in a little bit of extra time for players that need it. And yeah. Right. Okay, so the second one is the first base position. And this is one of those things in this age group of players 
Whereas a lot of times as the kids get older and more experienced, we start to think about shortstop and center field and catcher as being the most important positions. But in this age group, I would say the person who plays first base should be the most sure-handed <laughs> and the best bet you have to be able to catch a ball that gets thrown to them. And that's not even taking into account bad throws. I mean, just can catch the ball if it's a reasonable throw. And emphasizing the value of that position um, in our practices and in the things that we're doing to try to help those kids be as consistent as possible. But first base in coach pitch is maybe the most important defensive position because, one, a lot of the kids are not that fast as base runners yet, so you can have a ball that gets bobbled and fumbled and knocked around a little bit and still have a chance to make a play at first base as long as the person who's playing first base can actually catch the ball. No, I think that's a great point, Tori. And so, and like you said at the very beginning, typically you, you're pushing maybe some of the better athletes to shortstop or up the middle, but in this case, likely that that better athlete could very well be your first baseman. Right. Yeah. And when I think... Uh, you know, that there's a lot of things that can happen in the game, some strategies and things that you know, the teams might be using to try to put more pressure on the younger defensive players. You know, I've seen a team that basically every time somebody gets a base hit, they turn and go right to second base. They don't even stop at first base. They don't round first base. They are just running right. because they want to just create as much chaos, chaos as they possibly can. So hopefully if we've got somebody who's playing first base that can handle the throws, we get some of those out. But if we don't, then we have to start to work on, you know, the idea of, you know, again, the players communicating and playing with each other and, and as a team so that we have a chance to, you know, to make a play on us on a runner that's trying to take an extra base. No, those that's the hard knocks, right? We got to take a few lumps. Right. Before we figure it out. Yeah. And the other thing that, uh, you know, it, I guess from a defensive standpoint, you remember the game we used to play at camp, Crazy Light Flight? Crazy light flight game is one that we played because it was kind of a fun way for kids to you know, get some strategy and figure some stuff out. So the way to get an out was to get the ball to the next base before the runner could get there. So if you got a, you know, if you hit a ball in the outfield, if you get to first, you got one point. If you get to second, you got two points. If you got to third, you get three points. Well, when the kids first start playing crazy light flight, they're willing to take a really risky play to try to make the play at first. And usually what ends up happening is they don't get the play at first, and that runner is just running for second because there's no reason for her to stay at first. She doesn't get a point, you know, an extra point. She doesn't get to stay on the bases. You know, when she gets done with her at bat, she gets off the field. You know, hit the ball, and they start running the bases like it's an inside-the-park home run on top of an inside-the-park home run. They're just going around the bases. What ends up happening is, after that happens two or three times where they just miss getting her at first and they just miss getting her at second and they just miss getting her at third, they kind of come to grips with the fact that, well, you know what? We're going to give her we're one. We're going to let her have one, but we're going to get the ball to second base so she doesn't get two. And even though it might have been a bang, bang, really close play at first, if they don't have confidence that they can get the out at first, then they make sure that they got the out at second. And I think you could do some similar things to that here if... You know, a ball gets hit to our shortstop and she fumbles it and, and comes up and she doesn't think she's got a chance to make the play at first. Instead of rushing and hurrying and throwing the ball over there, let's just go ahead and go to second base and make sure that we stop that runner at first and control the, concede the damage. Concede one. Yeah, yep. and concede the damage. And so I think that uh, there, there's some ways to work on that kind of strategic thinking 
and again, you know, we just spent time talking about the most fundamental plays, uh, but that might be, you know, stage two, you know, helping them understand that, you know, sometimes they're going to be safe at first, but if we can keep them at first, then somebody else has got to do something to get them to second. If we get greedy and we're trying to always get that really close bang, bang play, before you know it, we might have made a mess for ourselves. We're in too deep. Right. Yeah. All right. So third one is parents and coaches disagreeing over the idea of players specializing at this age, wanting to play just one position. And we've talked about this several times in the last couple of weeks. So I think yes. you know, um, if, if you haven't heard those discussions in the past, I would tell you to go back and, and listen. But at the youngest age groups, these kids should be learning to play every position. They should be learning to work on all their skills. To look at a seven-year-old or eight-year-old player and say, she's a shortstop, that's all she is, she's a shortstop only, is some of the craziest thinking I've ever heard. No, that's way too young for sure, Tori, to be specialized in any position. And and you never know, you might be the one that makes the crazy uh, diving catches, but you're not going to do that as much at first or third base as you will in the outfield. And you might end up with a very strong arm if you're working in the outfield a little bit too, making longer throws, that might make you a better infielder later. Right. So, yeah. Well, and, and the thing that uh, we've talked about a bunch, um, to me, versatility is a beautiful thing for the youngest players. Now, eventually, there's going to come a time and place where they're going to think of one spot as their, their spot. primary spot. Yeah. But even for those kids, being open-minded enough to see that they can help the team more by being versatile and being able to play a second position or a third position uh, equally well as they would play their primary position has got unbelievable value. And to me, the idea of young players wanting to only play one position is bad for them as individual players. And it's bad. It sets a bad precedent for the team because if everybody wants to be the shortstop and everybody thinks they deserve to be the shortstop, then what do we do with the eight other positions? And also, too, how we're feeling when we're not the shortstop. Right. And yeah. So so if, if I think I should be the shortstop and you tell me this game I have to play left field, am I going to be out there you know, moaning and whining and kicking, complaining and, and kicking, kicking in daisies the grass. And, and, yeah. and not paying attention? And so I think we need to instill it right away. We need to get all our adults on the same page. And you know, to me, I think it's something that even as at the most fundamental <clears throat> level, you know, at the very first team meeting, you know, at the very first parent meeting, the very first practice, we sit down and say, everybody on this team is going to be a versatile player. You're all going to learn to play multiple positions. You're all going to play in the infield. You're all going to play in the outfield. And even though it might make it harder for us to win a game here and there, you're all going to play different positions on game day. And then let's use these early days, these you know, early parts of the season, to learn more lessons, to become a, a better team, a more balanced team, and just lay it out. That's the way it's going to be, and then stick to it. And if somebody has a real problem with that, if they really think they know th- that their kid is going to be the next Olympic shortstop at seven, <laughs> I think we you know, wish wish them well and and you know let them move on. Let them move on because the idea that uh, anybody should be playing just a position at this age to me is is one of the craziest things ever because you don't know what all their strengths are you don't know what all their weaknesses are they're still learning so much they're changing all the time you know that kid that's a quick little rangy player you know all of a sudden hits a growth spurt and she goes to being you know the the littlest kid on the team to the tallest kid on the team um you know maybe somebody that you would have never thought would play first base because she wasn't very good at catching the ball when you first started that year 
um, has worked really hard and gotten better and, and developed her skills. And now all of a sudden we need her at that highly valuable, most important position on the field. And so I think we just need to be thinking about it that way and, and pushing that agenda with our players and with their parents. So I think you said this at the beginning of this little segment right here is that, uh, you know, if we communicate with all the adults and parents and coaches, everybody together, that we're going to have players playing two or three innings in the infield. The next two or three innings are going to play in the outfield. And the following two or three innings are going to be on the bench waiting for their next cycle through. Right. And everybody would get a good variety pack of everything. Do that through the regular season, um, come tournament time or championship time for the league or whatever it is. We're going to play them where they seem to perform their best, and right. we're going to try and do it straight up then. But you know, all along the way, I think that would be super healthy for everybody to get a shot, right? Right. And because you never know what the future is going to hold, player who thinks she's a great shortstop now um, might end up at some point in time being one of five great shortstops, and the choice is either you can play someplace else or you cannot play. Now, I know, on, you know in a lot of situations, that means that uh, that player and her parents are going to go find a different team. Yeah. But honestly, if that's the way they feel about it, I'd be happy to see them leave because well, nobody is that talented. And they might love being a corner player if they get a right. chance to try it. Well, and eventually they're going to be in a situation where they're not going to be able to just join a new team. if they're in, Unless they're willing to sell their house and move to a new school district, if they come in as a freshman shortstop on the high school team, and the junior shortstop is an all-state player, the chances of your freshman daughter being the starting shortstop are zero. So then what's she going to do? Sit on the bench and pout because she doesn't get to be the shortstop, or is she going to be the right fielder? She might still be one of the best nine hitters, right? right. And so yeah. uh, they definitely need that. Now, the second part of this is we got to get the adults on the same page. And if I'm the head coach of any team, when I sit down with our adults and our coaches and our parents and we explain to them that this is how this team is structured, this is how we're going to do things, if the adults are the problem, then the adults and their kids can leave. It's just that simple. I don't have, you know, I'm not going to... Tori, you know on the way home they're hearing, you should have been playing shortstop. You should have been at shortstop all day today. You're a better shortstop. Than, right, but that's yeah. why we've got to handle it with the adults the so beginning. that the adults get on the yeah. same page. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I know it can mean that uh, you lose a really talented player. You know, maybe somebody's a really good kid. You know, maybe you have an assistant coach or uh, somebody that's helping you with the team that gets frustrated and angry and decides to take their ball and go home. But that's just the way it goes. I'd too, rather have... Too often we hear it. Right. Yeah. But I would much rather have one less player and have everybody on the same page. Sure. Have one less coach and have everybody on the same page than having to be distracted consistently, constantly by the you know the negativity the undermining of your authority as a head coach we're still um, talking 8U right right i yeah. mean cuz yeah. i'm pretty sure that uh, none of the 8U coaches that have sent us these questions are you know getting a paycheck for coaching these teams right and if they've already gone out on the limb to be in charge and to have the responsibility of coaching then we need to respect that or we need to find a different team i mean it's just you know to me it's it's really no more complicated than that you know, we can have the adult conversation, you know, we should have the adult conversation, but if we get to the impasse, the point of, you know, we've talked about it, you know, Don, I know you think your daughter should be the shortstop. I'm the head coach. My opinion is that everybody on this team needs to learn to play different positions. And that's the way it's going to be. Even if mine is the best shortstop. Right. And yours, and yours might be the best shortstop. And she needs that's to not do the some, question. Yeah. She needs to do something else as well. Right. Because everybody on the team needs to be able to contribute in different ways at different times. And so, and if, if your response is, well, she's the best shortstop. If she can't play shortstop, I'm going to find her a team that will. 
good luck with that. Right. Yeah, I wish you the best. I hope that works out for you. Because my gut feeling is that you're going to keep looking long and hard to find anybody who thinks a kid playing a position at eight and under is the right strategy. It's smart, yeah. Next one is uh, parents that want a change in the coach that's pitching to their kid. Oh, interesting. So we have an adult Usually, pitcher. from what, what I've gathered, they usually have two, right? Usually in case one of them can't be there. Right, but um, in, in this situation that parents are asking if the person who's the pitcher, the coach who's doing the pitching, is the right person to be doing it. To be it. doing it. So, and just to kind of give this some context, it doesn't sound like the team is struggling to score runs. Comment was that the girls are hitting the ball consistently. We had 20 hits in our last game. Right. Well, if so we had 20 hits in our last game, I don't know what we think changing pitchers is going <laughs> to do for us. Right. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they probably have one that they prefer over the other, but again, that's something that they're not going to be able to pick later, right? Right. Well, and to me, I think it's just one more example of people overstepping their bounds and, and questioning things that really are not their decisions to make. But again, it, it, it just comes back to the ride home where we're talking about, you know, you should be the shortstop. Well, now if the ride home is, well, Coach Torrey would be a much better pitcher than Coach Don. I can't right? believe Coach Don gets to do that. Or why they, why they had him going today. Yeah. To me, it's... Uh, just one of those things that um, is very challenging to to deal with the uh, unrealistic. It's tough to throw to those kids, right? I but, mean, I, but if you're getting, you know, if if you had a pitcher that was out there, you know, windmilling the ball up there at sixty miles an hour, and your kids weren't hitting, then you'd have a complaint. <laughs> but we're we're getting twenty. Hits we're getting again. twenty hits, and yeah. my guess is twenty hits in probably three or four innings, because I'm sure all these games have a pretty short time limit, right? So. If we're getting 20 hits and we're losing 15 to 14, I would be less worried about the pitcher who's doing a pretty good job of hitting the bat of the kids. Let's let only get them down to 12. Right, yeah. versus uh, having to worry about changing that. And so I don't know how to handle that except to go back to the last one and say, get the adults together, make sure that the adults are on the same page. If they can't get on the same page, they need to get on a different team. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So next one is making out the lineup. The challenge that we have is, you know, obviously we think versatility is an important thing. When we get to games that we think we can or that we're trying to win, how important is it for us to feature the same players in the same key positions? And this, to me, kind of comes back to the versatility thing. If we've done a good job of helping the kids be versatile throughout the season, hopefully the differences are not as great as they might be. But if we're playing in a situation where winning this game has value to everybody on the team, then obviously you're going to put your better players in the key positions top, top end, yeah. for the majority of the time. Now, I still think at this age group, we still need to have enough flexibility and enough uh, common sense to let kids play different positions and things like that. But I think maybe that's definitely, take the maybe out of it, that's definitely a regular season, during practices, during the league games way of thinking. When we get to the playoffs at the end of the year, we get to the tournaments that we're paying extra money to go play in, you know, then I think it's a balancing act. If you're playing some pool games, everybody should play every position. If we're playing in the championship game, I think you should be playing the kids that give you a chance to be as successful as possible while still letting everybody play and still giving everybody an opportunity. 
Does that mean that everybody gets to play shortstop in the championship game? Probably not. But again, if we've done a good job of developing a second and third and fourth shortstop, the other kids who get to play that position a little bit should be better at it and should be okay Absolutely. at it. Yeah. Well, and two, I think you get an understanding of the game when you're playing different parts, right? So it's a good learning opportunity for everybody to be in a different situation defensively. That way uh, they get an idea of what, what all the roles are. Right. Yeah. And I think it's okay, again, as part of this communication model that we're talking about, talking to the parents and the and the kids and help them understand, okay, when we're playing in a must-win championship game kind of scenario, there's things that players have to be able to do consistently to play these key positions. We can lay it out specifically. You cannot play first base in the championship game if you cannot catch the throw. Yeah. You cannot play shortstop in the championship game scenario if you can't field it and throw it to first base. Can't get a ground ball. Right. Yep. You know, you can't be the center fielder, and this might be a stretch, but you can't be the center fielder if you can't catch a fly ball that gets hit right to you. You know, you can't play pitcher or what they call circle, which is basically a defensive position, you know, that plays behind the adult that's pitching. You can't play in the circle if you can't field it and throw it to first base because that's a high value, you know, very important position. And having that discussion up front so that there's no shock. And then, you know, if a parent is unhappy that their kid didn't get to play shortstop in the championship game, I would encourage them to work on their, you know, to work on stuff with their kid at home, you know, to add that to the list of things that they can practice on their own, you know, to encourage them to come to practice a little bit early and, and, you know, we can work with them a little bit more on their skills. You know, they can stay after practice sometime and, and work on those skills. It's not a participation trophy environment when we're playing in those types of games that we're going to do the best we can to put the best team on the field. No, I think that's all pretty normal thinking stuff, though, right? To kind of wrap it all up, because a lot of these come back to um, a pretty simple fundamental thing. We need to get all the adults on the same page. What's our philosophy? Right. We need to get all the adults squared away, because I don't think the problem with any of these things are the kids. Never. And it usually very rarely is the kids. And more and more these days, it's all about the parent. You know, I, I see kids every week. I just uh, saw a situation a couple of days ago where a player basically had to quit a team because her parents were mad about what the player's role was. That's tough. That's, you know, I mean, when one yeah. of my when one of my lesson kids is sitting there saying, "Well, yeah, I, I quit the middle school team." Well, why'd you quit the middle school team? Well, my mom and dad are mad. Well, why are your mom and dad mad? Because I don't get to play shortstop. Right. Well, are you the best shortstop? No, I don't think I'm even close to the best shortstop. Well, <laughs> then why are your parents so mad? Because they think I am. Like, well, did you talk to them about maybe you're not the best shortstop? Well, no, I can't do that. Cause, and, so, you know, and then obviously you know, expecting a 12-year-old kid to tell her parents that they're smoking crack and they need to you know, just let her play and have fun is a little bit of a challenge. But so um, you know, the moral to the story is you know, to start off with all this stuff, let's get the adults in a room. Let's get the adults on the same page. And it's okay to say, if you don't like it, you can leave. If you don't like it, you don't have to be on this team, but here's how it's going to be. And set that standard, set that level of expectation, and then uh, either they'll stay or they won't. But either way, it'll work out the way it's supposed to. Yeah. So that was our coach pitch discussion. So for our cleanup topic, let's talk about a couple of things that came to our attention from the 10 and under rank. Oh, good. We got the young ones today. Yep. Question number one is, kind of a tough situation. I became aware of one of my players bullying one of her teammates, who is a much larger girl, basically body shaming her. Uh, How do I handle it? Well, 
10 and under kids are pretty young kids for you to have an adult conversation with. Now, I think you can have a team conversation. You can have a team meeting and talk about how we're going to respect each other, that we're going to treat each other with respect, that we're going to understand that you know the, the world is full of lots of different kinds of people with different strengths and weaknesses. You know, Everybody doesn't look the same. Everybody doesn't act the same. Everybody doesn't come from the same background. But on this team, we expect you to all respect each other. If we don't respect each other, then there are going to be consequences. Those consequences can range from you don't play, you don't start, you run polls, you don't stay on the team. It can be any combination of those kinds of things. If you're overhearing it, if it's something that you know about because you heard it specifically, you heard Sally say something really mean to Mary, then I think you as an adult need to step in right then and there and correct it and ask for an apology. But then I think you and that player and her parents have to have a heart-to-heart discussion. I heard this directly. I heard her say this to her teammate, and we know that's not acceptable. We need you as parents to help support us in this because we want to send a message to all our players that we respect each other. And we don't have to all be best friends on this team, but we're all going to treat each other with respect. Tori, I like everything you said, and uh, you know that was talked about at the beginning of a season. I think those expectations are very, very reasonable and I think healthy for everybody. Right. And I think it's an unfortunate thing nowadays, whether it's social media or whatever it is, but this whole troll mentality of it's okay to say whatever you want, that there's no consequences, you can be mean-spirited, you can say terrible things, you can treat somebody badly and, and, and that's you know okay. It's not okay. And at this age group, to hear a player being mean to somebody else because she's heavy is kind of a a sad place to start uh, somebody's softball career. These kids are hearing stuff different places, whether it's at school or around other older kids or whatever it might be. They're learning it somewhere and they need, we got to straighten it out early. Right. And and now if it was, I was told that this happened, I would still treat it the same way. I would, you know, ask the players involved, but I would probably ask if I didn't hear it directly so that I could correct it immediately then I would have a talk with the player and her parents. Mom and dad need to be in the loop at 10U for sure. Yeah, for sure. On everything. Yeah, because I don't think as a coach you can tell a 10-year-old something and expect that that's going to be the message that mom and dad hears. <laughs> no, no. Let's be clear, right? Yeah, and you know, respecting each other is one of those fundamental things that uh, being on a team is supposed to be there to teach us. And we're supposed to be using those years as... Uh, That's a forever skill. Right, to, yeah. to be better people, right? Yeah. And so so that was the first one. Second one was, I get so disappointed with the players on our team. As soon as we get down, they give up. Wow, that's tough. One of the things about this game that I think is really hard for young players to understand because they don't have the experience with it, they haven't had the opportunities to be three runs down had or a two comeback. outs and get a comeback or yeah. be five runs down. You know, I tell the story all the time. When I was coaching at Wisconsin Parkside, we drove all the way to Iowa to play in a tournament because I thought it was a good idea. Players didn't think it was a good idea. Right. They thought that uh, you know that, that time of the year, that late in the season, we didn't need a big road trip. But I wanted a big road trip because I wanted us to be challenged because I knew that there'd be some really good competition. So we were playing a game against a pretty good team, but a team that we should have beaten. They were on the verge of run-ruling us in the fifth inning. They were up seven, and they had the run rule run at third, and somehow we got out of that inning. Right. Sixth inning, nothing happened. Seventh inning, we're the bottom of the seventh. We come up. We're down seven runs. We get the first two outs, like 
pretty quickly, I mean, hardly even a whimper. And then the craziest thing in the history of my life as a coach happened. A hit, an error, a hit, a walk, a walk, and on and on it went. With two outs and nobody on base, we scored eight runs and won a game. That is awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, for that other team to have been that close to run ruling us, and then for us to come back, and it was the weirdest thing ever because it was no like big, it was meant no, to be, yeah, no yeah. big home runs. You know, like seeing eye singles and five hoppers up the middle and blooper that the second baseman dove for and just about caught, but it tipped off her glove. I mean, it was just you know one of those crazy, crazy things. But when you're ten, I love that stuff. Yeah, when you're yeah. ten, you don't know that that's possible. You know, and and it doesn't happen very often. But all it ha- has to happen one time. And you start to believe then that you it's believe. possible. Yeah. I think that what we need to do as coaches, especially if, if we have a team that struggles with giving up when there's a little bit of adversity, looking for all the examples we can of times that teams have come back, that there's been things like that that have happened. You can tell the story about Coach Torrey's Parkside team. I was going to say, just hearing that story uh, right there. That, that scored yeah. eight runs with two outs in the bottom of the last inning to walk off a game. You know, And, and of course, in you know, my long career, that's not the that's the most extreme example, but there were a lot of other times oh, when we came times, back in, yeah. in game. And then the second part of it is instead of letting them get so wrapped up in are we going to win or lose this game, depending upon the team and at this age group, I think that we need to be sending the message that the final score is only a small part of what determines whether we played well whether or whether, whether it was a good day or not. Yeah. You know, for some of these kids at this age group, it could be, hey, we caught our first legitimate real high fly ball in the outfield. We should be celebrating that. Yeah. And we turned our first ever double play. The pitcher caught a line drive and got the runner off, doubled off at third for a, you know, for a double play. Whatever those kinds of things are, you know, we might get run ruled, but still have five or six of those things that we really like from our team that are worth celebrating. And if we can help our kids see the value in that, so that instead of getting down because they're losing by a few runs, even if they don't come back and score more runs than the other team, they see a lot of the other victories that, that are happening at that age. We can even turn it into a, let's win the next inning. Right. Know, let's shut them down and get one. Let's yep. do that again and work that way as well. Yeah. Let's have a three up, three down inning. Yeah. You know, wh- whatever the, Different the, the next victory could be, you know, cause we've all been on the other side of it, you know, that, uh, whatever the explanation is, it's just not your day that day. You know, we can be, on suicide watch because we're losing, or we can you know see all the other victories and all the other things that we could be doing um, and gaining momentum from that help us you know either later on in that game or help us in the next game or help us in the next tournament or whatever it might be. Let's see if we can do this, whatever okay. it is. Yeah, and this one I think is a, a dad because I feel the pain of the emailer. <laughs> the kids on this team cry every time they make an out or make an error, or strike out, or anything. It's like a waterwork. Wow. And I've seen this up close and personal. I can remember the first time I helped with a 10 and under softball team, watching every single kid, every single time they made an out, act like somebody died. (laughs) I mean, and not a couple little, like, you know, little tears, like, you know, you know, the floodgates. Pull out, you know, like waterworks, you know, hysterics, you know, screaming, you know, crying, yelling. I mean, Drag, all kinds dragging of stuff. a leg back to the dugout. Yeah. I mean, and God forbid it is a situation where they think they beat out that play and the umpire still called them out. <laughs> I've seen it. I think all we can do is know one that it's going to get better as they get older. Sure. You know, obviously, kids again this age are very inexperienced and very 
outcome driven. So if they're out, they think they're failures. If they don't get a hit, they think they're failures. If they make an error, they think they're failures. And they don't, I guess, yet have the skills to understand that it's just one at bat or it's just one pitch or it's just one ground ball or whatever it is. Yeah, I think it's a tough time because you don't want to uh, give any positive reinforcement to acting that way as well. Right. We kind of need to snip that off and say, hey, that's just not how this is going to work. Try and create a situation where they do see that the world will go on. Right. We will get another inning and we will play another game and, well, you know, and, all those and, things. And I don't think my solution is probably going to make it on the uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood uh, you know, list of uh, list ways of, to do uh, it. But my response was really simple. I would just ask them, why are you crying? Well, I made an out. I say, well, yeah, you made an out. Is that going to be the last time you ever make an out? There's going to be 21 of those here this yeah, game. And, and, we play and, seven. Yep. And, and that was the thing, like just to like try to put it in perspective. Well, I made an out. Well, yeah, and you're going to make another one before the day's over. Are you going to cry every time you make an out? Well, <laughs> I was like, did, okay. Did or, the other kids do that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no. They it, may have. But, yeah, but yeah. no, it was, I would say probably team. 80% yeah. of the kids playing at that age, that was their reaction. You know, the 20% gave me hope, but my response, I, I just couldn't think of anything else to do because I didn't want to yell at them for crying because, I mean, all it's going to do is make it worse. But say. I didn't think there was anything wrong with asking that question. Why are you crying? And then try are, to get, are you hurt? Yeah, yeah. Try to turn it back around. Like, um, are you bleeding? You know, I mean, is is there like a bone sticking out someplace? Oh no, you just made it out. Well, you know, uh, as you said, you know, twenty one of those are going to happen in this game if we play seven innings, <laughs> right? Well, I gave up a home run. Well, yeah, it's not going to be the the last one. I can remember when uh, Bonnie played for me at Tennessee Tech. Her freshman year, she gave up her first ever over the fence home run as a pitcher. Wow. You know, she came in, it's like, that's the first time that's ever happened. And I said, well, sweetheart, get used to it, because it's going to happen again. At least it's over, right? Yeah, so so, you know, congratulations, that's the first. I mean, you know, so let's just move on. And I know, uh, you know, obviously with the younger players, we're always going to be dealing with different things. The one thing I think is the moral to the story that I have seen uh, up close and personal now, the older the kids get, the easier it is to coach. The older the kids get, the less crazy the parents are. But there's always a certain level of craziness, no matter what age we're talking about. But some of the stuff that we talked about, you know, getting the parents in a room and, and sorting this stuff out will be less of a problem as the kids get older because the parents have more experience, too. And sure. so it's a little bit less troubling. So, But for our 8 and under, 10 and under folks, there's a whole lot of stuff that hopefully will be helpful to you. Please keep the questions and the thoughts coming. It's really helpful for Coach Don and I because uh, the things that we talked about on this episode are not things that are on the front burner for us most of the time and knowing that it's stuff that's important to our listeners is important so you can reach out to us at everything fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com so don our coaching tip of the week is another do as i say not as i did right scrap the superstitions get rid of the superstitions stop the superstitions because it really doesn't make a difference now that's coming from the guy who has never stepped on a white line who would cross his fingers, who would wear the same coaching gear. If we swept a doubleheader, I would make sure that even if we went back to the hotel that night, I would do the laundry and make sure that my stuff was clean so I could wear the exact same clothes the next day. That's the guy telling you that, in hindsight, it was one of the dumbest things I ever did. So you're ready to get over it, huh? Yeah, well, I'm over it now. I I don't... Still, I think out of habit would have a hard time stepping on the white line, but if I did and I wouldn't feel like if we lost, it was my fault. So I too have been uh, probably a very superstitious person and 
to a degree, not that I believe it for me, but I believe it for the distraction for the kid. If they're more worried about recreating a, a particular form of pregame warm-up, everybody's at the same spot, everybody's the same thing. You know, we're about to face, uh, you know, your team when we were facing Wendy Wolf and somebody that's, you know, really shutting everybody down and supposed to have a really high strikeout rate. If we're not worried about those things, then, um, you know, they might have a little better opportunity to perform better if they don't spend all that pregame worrying about their opponent. Um, so I kind of believe a little bit in some of those superstitions. But to your point, you know, if we scrub a line, right. walking walking out there, that's not going to make me make an error. Right. And and it's silly to spend time on that stuff. But there's other things, you know, I'd tie your left well, shoe I, first. I, 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 like, or, I like routines. Don't get yeah, me wrong. I love yeah. routines because I think that's a great way for players to be confident that they're ready to perform. But there's a difference to me between a, a coach having a superstition and a player having a routine or a coach instilling sure. a routine. So you're thinking more on team. the coaching side. Right. No, I'm thinking, I mean, I seriously have lost sleep at night because of things that are totally ridiculous, <laughs> totally unscientific, absolutely have no, no impact at all on the outcome of the game. You know, being so superstitious, the thing that if I didn't cross my fingers, when I was coaching third base, that you know we wouldn't get a hit. I think I, I mean, used to spin my ring. Yeah, if things I, like if, that. Uh, yeah. if I if I you know didn't you know wear the same clothes, <laughs> that that meant we weren't going to win the next day. Right. You know that if uh, you know and again you know stepping on a white line or just very recently I noticed that whenever I coach first or third base, I always am compelled to knock all the dirt off of the base before the first hitter, and like if I don't do that, somehow that's going to impact whether impact we have a good thing or not. Now, doing it because I want to make sure the umpire can see the base because, you know, at the end of some of these days in these travel ball tournaments where the fields haven't been touched since 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes it's hard to find the bases because there's so much dirt piled up on top of them. Doing it for that reason is different than knocking the dirt off because I think it somehow is going to increase the likelihood that we're going to get hits. No, I know. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I guess as we get older, we we lighten that mental load for a... Right. There's plenty of stuff for us as coaches to be thinking about and worried about that really do have an impact on how our team is going to be playing. <laughs> and I think if we're uh, spending a, a little less time on superstition and a little bit more time on game strategy and game planning and making sure our players are ready to play and, and working on all those things. See, I wasn't sure if we were if we were throwing the kids into the superstitious part. But yeah. yeah. Well, more. no, and, and I think you know the kids having routines is great, but if a kid yeah. has to wear the same socks, you know, 27 days in a row because the lucky socks are the difference between whether she gets a hit or not. I think that's a little goofy. Yeah, if I think yeah. I, it makes a difference if my team's going to play well or not because I kick the dirt off of first base or not, I think that's kind of goofy. And I think that a lot of us have spent a lot of time and energy worrying about stuff that just doesn't probably really mean very much. And if we can spend that time working on stuff that does mean something, right? probably going to be a little bit more beneficial. No, I think that's all a fair thought. So, all right, coaches, scrap the superstitions. Spend that time doing something uh, more productive. So that's going to wrap up number 183. Please make sure you check out our, our sponsors, Anderson Bat and Elite Sporting Goods. 
Um, I posted one of my favorite uh, golden oldies about why we can never find good practice balls at practice because the catchers are hoarders. Did you so, put that back out yeah, there? I put that back out there. Oh, man. Because yeah, it's uh, it's time for the truth to be told. We, we got to go through that again. Yeah, but if you have questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, and Player of the Week nominations, make sure you reach out to us at fastpitchprep at gmail.com or everything fastpitch at gmail.com. Coach Don and I want to hear about these players uh, that uh, deserve recognition. And uh, as always, we're certainly looking forward to talking about things that are of interest to you. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tori saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.